Welcome to FO Podcasts. With me is an interesting chap. Once upon a time, he did martial arts. He was a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford. And uh, he worked for a big investment bank as an economist. Today, this chap is a member of uh, the Prime Minister's uh, Economic Advisory Council and Secretary to Government of India. Sanjeev Sanyal, welcome. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thanks. Now, Sanjeev, since you are in the hot seat um, when it comes to advising the Prime Minister on the economy, paint us a picture of the Indian economy. How are things these days? Well, obviously, like uh, every other country in the world, we went through a difficult period during the COVID crisis. But I'm pleased to say that um, the Indian economy has emerged from that period stronger. Our economy is growing at about 7%. Uh, last year in 2022-23, uh, we clocked about 7.2% GDP growth rate. And uh, this year, we are supposed to be in the 65 to 7% range. But I suspect, given the momentum, it will be closer to 7%. So again, another 7% GDP growth rate, uh, which uh, puts us comfortably as the fastest growing economy in the world. Large economy, I suppose. There must be there might be some. Yeah, there might be some. Faster. There might be some small, yeah. obscure economy that may be growing faster. But if any economy of consequence, India is easily the fastest growing and on a sustained basis. So it's not oil-based economy that gets a spike every time oil goes up. This is sustained growth. As I said, we have now emerged as the world's fifth largest economy. And hopefully by in the next 18 months, we should go past Germany to become the fourth largest economy. And we have, German economy is in dire trouble. So yeah, it makes it a bit easier yeah. on, on this on this uh, on this particular account. Although we wish them well. Um, yeah, but, I wish I wish the Germans well as well. I have very dear friends in Germany, and they are struggling with their businesses. Yes, and all the best. But to it, them. It, it would, ironically, in absolute terms, be better if they were growing because they are an export market. Exactly. And then, around about twenty twenty eight, we should go past. Japan, by which point we will probably be a $5 trillion economy, uh, which is about where Japan is now. We will then be the world's third largest economy. All right. So Japan and Germany are obviously smaller countries. Um, The population uh, is much smaller. Their per capita is much higher. India is growing from a smaller base. Yeah. Let me me be clear. I'm not making the case that... (laughs) India's per capita income will be higher than Germany. You know, we have 1.4... Billion people here. So once you divide that, it does. We will still be a very poor country. But in terms of sheer economic size, it will be uh, significantly larger. And do remember, as the you know, even the UN has now been uh, accepted uh, this in many of its publications, and so have other researchers, that we are now beginning to remove poverty at pretty much the same rate China did uh, in the uh, beginning of the century. So what you are witnessing is also. Uh, one of the biggest, um, if not the biggest, poverty reduction in human history as well. So it's not just, you know, theoretical growth. So you can, if you, anybody visiting India can clearly see, uh, you know, the people uh, look somewhat more prosperous than they did, were before. The better fed, living better longer. Better fed, living longer. The infrastructure is clearly yeah. better. Uh, I'm not saying that we are rich and all our problems have been solved. I'm just pointing out that this growth is not some theoretical growth. It is, it is touching people's lives. So what is the basis of the growth? What are the fundamentals driving Indian growth? Well, there are various ways of looking at it. One is, of course, the services sector is growing particularly strongly. 
Um, so you have here is a sector that is uh, in some bits of it are world class. As you know, people know about Indian software exports. Yeah, I just uh, was a guest of Persistent Systems. And Anand Deshpande is the founder and he's created a $4.5 billion company, which is extraordinary. And it's in Pune, not even in Bangalore. Yes, so it's not just that. I mean, there's all kinds of services that are now yeah. getting ex exported out to India. So India has become a real services exports powerhouse. Mm -hmm. The uh, back office of the world. Is the back say. office of the world, but now increasingly the front office as well. Mm -hmm. But it's not just the exports part. Even domestically, we are, uh, all kinds of new sectors are getting enabled. I mean, obviously a sector like tourism had a tough time during COVID, but it has really bounced back and it's bounced back uh, largely based on domestic tourism. And of course, now uh, foreign tourism is also reviving. But I'm just pointing out to you that there is a wide, wide uh, sort of engine of growth that is coming. So uh, that, that's the services. So the, yes. And then that's... there is the industrial sector that is also doing rather well. So all the PMIs are, are good. So explain to our listeners what is PMI. It's, it's a purchasing managers index. It yes, comes out, yeah, it exactly. comes out uh, in fact, in the US as well. And many of you will be aware that the purchasing managers index uh, uh, being above 50 means that it's expanding. But India's is red hot. It's somewhere in the uh, 57, 58 range for some time. Mm -hmm. uh, the one for services is even higher. It's over 60. Again, very strong domestic uh, momentum. Of course, this does not mean that the world is completely perfect. Mm -hmm. uh, we did have a spike in oil. And then and we are an oil importer. So we, for us, yes. we, we are very vulnerable to oil price Absolutely. Hikes. So... The fact that oil price spiked up last year was difficult, yeah. um, but India, as you know, did manage it. I mean, it caused some stress to the, the in various ways. Some inflationary some pressures. inflationary yeah. pressure was there, yeah. but we managed it uh, reasonably well. And now that it's come off, uh, that has helped. Uh, but the the big issue right now is the fact that global demand is clearly slowing. Yes, um, this is not something we can control. But the fact is that exports are slowing worldwide. China's exports are slowing. Everybody's exports are slowing. So are ours. So it's not that it's perfect sort of uh, uh, highway on which we are. Uh, there are lots of potholes and uh, diversions and other issues on, on, on these highways. But right now, um, all things told, India's economy is doing well. Given the global conditions, India's economy is doing well. Uh, as I said, growing at around about 7% which is pretty good under the circumstances. So it is services and manufacturing that's driving. Services is the big driver. driver. Yes. Interestingly, India essentially became a services economy and skipped in some ways the manufacturing stage. Yeah. Uh, this does not mean that we don't want to be in manufacturing. We are putting in a fair bit of effort and we can yeah. talk about that later in sort of getting our manufacturing sector going again. And we are seeing the uh, the private sector investment and other things uh, sort of beginning to accelerate recently. But nonetheless, uh, it has to be admitted that India is really a services, uh, as things stand, yeah. India is a services-driven economy. Well, the argument a lot of economists give uh, is that uh, whilst uh, China opened up under Deng Xiaoping back in 1978, uh, India went through Indira Gandhi's socialism, followed by the Janata Party experiment. And with so much of uh, red tape, the license permit and quota raj, it was almost impossible for manufacturers to get practical. And we are still suffering from that residue of socialism. Would that be a fair argument? 
Well, initial conditions did have an impact. There's yeah. no doubt that there was this entire legacy of uh, bureaucratic red tapism. Mm -hmm. uh, some of that legacy is still around, uh, but also neglect of the physical infrastructure. Um, now, we are trying to fix many of these things, but especially infrastructure, it particularly seems. physical yeah. infrastructure. But do remember that we also happen to be a country that began to get its act together in the post-digital age. So in some ways, even if everything was perfect, simply the timing has some impact in the sense that we began to sort of really get serious in, in the 90s and early 2000s when we began getting serious about becoming a, a more efficient economy. And this was already the internet age. So yeah. in that sense, uh, that has also had an impact. Mm -hmm. And of course, as I said, since we had this legacy of poor infrastructure and red tapism that uh, sort of uh, got in the way of rapid growth in the industrial sector, um, so that was a legacy also. So the, the sort of relative competitiveness, so to speak, of the economy was somewhat tilted. Now, we are trying to fix that. Um, how are you trying to fix it? So, well, first of all, we had to fix the physical infrastructure. So... We, as you may have seen, built massive amount of in, uh, uh, emphasis on uh, intra, uh, intercity infrastructure. So the airports got dramatically upgraded in recent years. The highways have been dramatically uh, upgraded. Of course, um, uh, the ports as well. The ports are getting done right yeah. now. A uh, huge uh, amount of money has been allocated just in this year's budget to upgrade the railways. So the physical infrastructure and anybody traveling around India will, will clearly see that it's a construction site. Um, <laughs> a so, lot of foreigners remark upon that whenever I have friends visiting India. Uh, all they say is that, wow, it's reminiscent of China back in the day when China was building infrastructure. In yeah, Britain, or the, the US, US in the, the 19, 1920s or, or even the 50s yeah. uh, when there's a lot of construction going on. Yeah. So, yes, it's not always pleasant to live in a construction site, yeah. but uh, you can clearly see the stuff getting built. So, so that is one part of it. The second and thing, you expect a multiplier effect. Of course. Yeah. I mean, uh, first of all, building the infrastructure itself is economic activity. Yeah. Um, but then, so some part of the 7% growth is from that. And of course, then there is the fact that you create an asset that helps feed other sectors as well. So that's one part of it. Yeah. The second part is that we did also have to think of the policy infrastructure that we had to create. So before uh, 2017, India may have been a large country, but in fact, it was not a common market. Yeah, most people don't know that. India yes. was uh, a political union, but unlike the EU, it wasn't an economic union. Absolutely. If you, if you were manufacturing something in Tamil Nadu, selling it in Kashmir, or Assam was a nightmare. Or even right next door in Kerala would have yeah. was a nightmare. Because That's correct. essentially, you had all these uh, different state taxes. Uh, you actually had border uh, controls. Controls. Yes. Yeah. So, and in fact, even cities used to have Octroi and other such. Oh, yeah. Some medieval taxes. So no, they, they, they were inspired by the Soviet Union, if you remember. Well, <laughs> yes, but some of it seemed to have been even earlier. I mean, Soviet Union, uh, first of all, Soviet Union disappeared in 1991. And that is precisely when we liberalized. <laughs> yes. So, you know, that we had to wait till 2017 is a pity. But anyway, the fact is that um, we introduced the GST system. Yeah. Um, and the GST system essentially was a free trade agreement that uh, uh, India signed with itself. Mm. All so the different states, basically. All the states uh, signed it and effectively created a common market. Mm -hmm. So that was, uh, on a policy scale, important. 
third big thing that we did uh, was introduce an insolvency and bankruptcy code. And that was important because that reintroduced and enforced creditor rights. So India had this banking system dominated to a large extent by public sector banks. And as you can imagine, um, without a proper insolvency and bankruptcy code. So quite apart from political interference and other things that are there, there was also, that, that are still there. Uh, well, dramatically lower, dramatically lower, much, much cleaner. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the point is, let's say even if there wasn't any political interference, the fact is that any economy and all finance is based on the idea of creative destruction. Some part of the stuff that you invest into will go bust. Mm -hmm. Right. That's how creative destruction happens. But there was no mechanism in India um, uh, uh, to allow creative destruction because, again, going back to the socialist period. So while you removed the license permit, i.e. the entry barriers, yeah. you had not gotten rid of the exit barriers. So what happened if some company began doing badly on some misplaced idea of socialism, you can put it into something called BIFR which was basically a Bureau of Industrial Finance and Reconstruction. Uh, it's unsuitably Soviet. Uh, it, it was. <laughs> and essentially what happened, it's a warehouse for dead companies. You wouldn't quite let them die. So there were zombies. And there were zombie companies that, and they would just keep piling up. Yeah. And so what happened is that with this insolvency and bankruptcy code, you finally begin to shut down these companies, uh, sell off their assets and properly liquidate. And so... Uh, this has been, this allowed for cleaning up of the banks. And this is where you played a role with your background in banking. I played a small role in uh, getting this done. Mm -hmm. In fact, if you go back to 2017, you know, the, those of you who remember, the bank banking system was jammed up with all these yes, bad loans yeah. that had been accumulated yeah. over time, uh, particularly because of the lending binge between 2006 and 2012. So much of that had gone bust. And... What we discovered, interestingly, that while there were several hundred companies that had got bust, 50 companies actually accounted for two-thirds of the problem. So we didn't need to actually solve the entire system. We, all you needed to do is identify those 50 companies. In fact, it turned out that just 12 companies accounted for a third of the whole problem. Uh -huh. So in fact... Uh, so it was good old crony capitalism. Well, there was some power element of crony <laughs> capitalism, but the pro point is from a solution problem, yeah. there was one uh, advantage. It meant that you didn't have to solve the whole thing. If you identified the biggest companies and made sure the insolvency and bankruptcy system, which was just completely brand new. And so remember, people were afraid that, you know, you have a brand new system and these hundreds of companies. But in fact, what you really needed to solve was 50 cases. And even a brand new insolvency and bankruptcy system was able to deal with it. And as I said, we started with the 12 largest companies. Uh, uh, I coined the word dirty dozen for them. And, and uh, so we, you, clear, you clearly watch Westerns. <laughs> <laughs> and then we basically uh, went through the, the 12 and then uh, the other 50. Yeah. And so moment that happened, uh, remember this, a lot of this was, some of these companies actually were taking advantage of a culture because you didn't allow companies to die. There was a system basically of these companies were kept alive using taxpayers' money. Some of them in BIFR, but even outside BIFR. Mm -hmm. So effectively what you had, the incentive structure was the willingness and, uh, to pay uh, was a major constraint. The governance issues were a major constraint. The moment you enforced creditor rights, suddenly uh, many people who were claiming to be bankrupt suddenly were willing to repay money. And so suddenly a lot of money came back to the banking system. 
And this, thank God we were doing this because the banks were getting cleaned up. It happened quickly enough. By 2019, banks were getting radically clean up. So when we went into this COVID shock, the banking system was already on the mend and the system was deleveraging. If we had gone into the COVID shock with the banking system that we had in 2016-17, I can assure you we would have had lots of trouble. But because the banking system was already getting cleaned up, there was already money coming back. So ironically, at the end of the COVID crisis, uh, the, the cleaning up overrode the shock of the COVID. And as a consequence, we actually today have a banking system that is profitable and clean and radically better than what we had before COVID. So let's talk about COVID since uh, you've mentioned COVID already. Uh, India's response was different to other countries. Uh, you were at the heart of policymaking then. Um, what was India's um, COVID policy? I mean, the economic policy. I don't mean uh, the public health side. Uh, and how was it different to others? So we took a very radically different view on um, the COVID response than virtually any other country. First of all, um, the framework of thinking about it was totally different. So we perhaps are the only country in the world which saw COVID as a, a supply side shock and not a demand shock. Our view was, look, people want to spend money. You're just not allowing them to go to the malls and to the shops and bars and restaurants and spend their money. So this is not a demand shock. This is a supply shock. You've shut down avenues for them to spend. And you've shut down the factories and, and other agencies that would produce these goods. So this is a supply shock. So what did this mean? It meant that essentially sending out large amount of stimulus checks was rather meaningless uh, activity because it would be the... So you're, you're pointing to basically to the US, which sent a lot of stimulus checks. And Not indeed, just the US. And everybody indeed, else Western did. Europe. Western Europe did it. Yeah. Every other country did it. And this is what, incidentally... U.S.-based economists were almost outraged when um, uh, when we refused to do this. Um, so you know there were people like Joe Stiglitz, Grubman. Yeah, I, I uh, know Joe. A lot of the <laughs> uh, him somewhat. I, I a lot of in, in, uh, U.S.-based Indian economists also were the, outraged that we weren't going out there and busting the budget doing this or taking our you know uh, our monetary stimulus that the uh, you know from the RBI wasn't pushing down interest rates to zero and other things that everybody literally was advising us to do. So we didn't do that. So, so you didn't take uh, a Keynesian point of view. You didn't address it as a demand issue. Not in the first instance. Now, there okay. is a demand impact, but okay. it, it is not the primary problem. Mm -hmm. We saw it as a supply side shock. And I explained it even at that time, we were clearly explaining it in exactly these terms. So it's mm. not something we are... It's not post, new, I, I know of it. Post, yeah. post facto explanation. Yeah. But a lot of our, our, our listeners wouldn't be aware of it. So yes. walk them through so, the reasoning. So then, so then we said that, look, this doesn't mean that there isn't a problem. But it's a different problem. So let's solve it differently. So we have a supply side shock. It shuts down the economy. Pumping money through the system, first of all, the avenues for that are blocked in various ways. In any case, this is not a demand problem. People want to go and spend money in the restaurant, but I can't go there. The restaurant is shut, right? So what do I do? So the first problem we identified was a payments problem. So the problem is you can't pay me, I can't pay somebody, and that person can't pay you. So we all go bust because this is, a, so you have this cascade of payments. Yeah. So we then did something. We actually guaranteed the payments in the system. So we created a payments guarantee fund. 
particularly for small and medium-sized companies. But basically what we did, and we, had, we kept the insolvency and bankruptcy code, which I mentioned earlier, they we held that in abeyance. So what happens is that you don't get these cascades of defaults going through the system. So that's the first thing we did. Second thing we did is we transferred sm relatively small amounts of money to the very poor and made direct cash transfers. This direct cash transfers. And we are able to do that again for an innovation we had done before COVID, which was give everybody a unique identity. Aadhaar. And Aadhaar and a bank account yeah. called Jandhan. So even the very poorest person in the country has a bank account. So we transferred small amounts of money. Nothing, I, I forget the exact amount, but it was quite small. And we were criticized even at that time. Why is this such a small amount of money just giving it to the poor? What will happen? Well, this is, not a, this is not a stimulus package. This is a safety net, a completely different idea. So same thing, giving guarantees. So it was far more targeted compared to the Yes, US. and the conception is not a reflation package. We are not Keynesian. This is a safety net. Understood. A different idea. Yeah. So since this is a safety net, what are we doing? We, we provided 800 million people with free food. Now, not everybody turned up to claim this free food, but it was available to 800 million people. Um, 800 know, million. That's 800 a population million of 1.3 at that time. 1.3 plus billion. Yeah. About, so half the population, more than half the population yeah. had access to free uh, food. So basically what we are saying is, look, this is the big shock. We're going to make sure that nobody starves. Everybody has some cash in the bank. Financial system and the corporate sector, including particularly small businesses, don't go bust. Okay? So keep everybody alive. So that but some small businesses must have gone bust. Very few, because uh -huh. we guaranteed their payments. 80%, you see? I see. So what happens is we guarantee your payments, your creditor. How do people go bust? The creditors turn up and say, mm -hmm. you know, knock on your door. You see, we'll, we'll pay 80% of it. So, so nobody knocks on anybody's door because we have guaranteed the system. And it turned out in the end, it was very cheap. Very, very few people actually went bust because everybody's payments are guaranteed. So relatively few people actually claimed this guarantee. Unlike other countries, when you're trying to keep the whole system alive by paying everybody, what we did is for a fraction of the cost, by just guaranteeing the system, we kept it alive. So for a fraction of the cost, we managed to keep alive the money flow, cash flow of the system. So we saw this as a cash flow problem, not as an economic revival problem. Understood. Okay. So this is how we kept the system going for the first, say, to, say between April and September of 2020. Now... At that juncture, we began to open the economy up because the first wave have come through. By this point, remember, unlike in the very beginning when we had no idea what COVID was, why it was spreading, what was how to even do you know, how to even do testing. Yeah. By October, September, we had some idea how it spread. People understood and uh, how to you know you can do deal with it, deal with it to some yeah. extent. So we opened the system up, and that is when we did do some Keynesian type. Thing. So you did something Keynesian. And what was yes, that? which is we began to spend money. But again, we did it in a very peculiar way. We did not give stimulus checks. We spent on infrastructure. We dramatically expanded out infrastructure. So very much like Franklin Delano Roosevelt's New Deal in a way. Uh, in a sense, yes. Yeah. But we, we built, you know, dramatically expanded the highway building, mm. the airports and other things. And why are we doing it in this particular way? Well, one is the, you know, the, the, the multiplier in terms of employment in infrastructure projects is very high. 
But also, remember, we are running up debt to do this. So we want to leave future generations with assets to back that debt when we leave it to them. Again, so so you've been very prudent with the debt-GDP ratio. Absolutely. So yes, some debt, even our debt-to-GDP ratio, it didn't go up like many other countries. Yeah. But it did it didn't go, go up. up like Italy. <laughs> yeah, but it did go up. And But we left. We have left behind. Where is it now? What is the debt-GDP ratio? Well, it's somewhere in the 80s. It's somewhere in the 80s. Yes. And does that include the state governments? Uh, yes. It does. All right. So and, and, it's, but it'll do back then. I see. All right. But, crack but, but the, the game is, if you keep the as a debt to GDP ratio is ultimately an arithmetic issue. Yes. Um, so the arithmetic of it is, if you keep nominal GDP growth rate growing significantly faster than your nominal deficit. Exactly. Uh, plus interest, uh, then, uh, you know, you can keep it going. So one of the games here is that momentum has held, uh, kept going and that comes in our favor. So that's that's part of the game. So you uh, followed a Keynesian policy, and that was focused on infrastructure. Yes, and by that time the, it, the economy began to gather momentum. There was another shock with the Delta wave, but uh, the the economic impact of that was smaller. The health impact was larger, but uh, but we knew by this point that you know it wouldn't last for too long because by this point also vaccines were getting rolled out. So. Although the Delta wave itself was quite a shock in terms of uh, health, we knew that we could see the the light at the end of the tunnel by this point, and we by and large did not do national nationwide lockdowns by this point. Uh, we did lo- localized lockdowns of the Delta wave, but we kept the system more or less running. Unlike uh, the first time around, uh, yeah, we didn't we, know enough, and the whole country was yeah. was basically so. Again, you notice that this this idea that we have is a very supply side view. Mm-hmm. And it is also very much dependent on continuous adjustment rather than having this grand plan of where, where this whole thing is going. We didn't know in the beginning where it's going. We, and we have better information. We keep things and adjust. So it's very much a supply side uh, feedback loop based system rather than we are sure exactly what's happening. There's a grand plan and we follow that grand plan. All right. So um, you've talked about where uh, we are headed largely in, in terms of growth figures. Uh, let's talk about some of the complaints I've been hearing in my travels around the country. And one of the complaints I've been hearing relentlessly, particularly from small and medium-sized business owners, is that there is um, an arbitrariness to tax collection. They don't have anyone to go to to seek redressal. And uh, some have gone so far to say that uh, they are living uh, under tax terrorism. Uh, so what do you say to that? Well, I mean, uh, if tax authorities are unnecessarily stressing job creators, then of course we take this feedback uh, very seriously. And if you give me a few specific instances, I'll be quite happy to look into it. Much of this, by the way, relates to GST, I'm sure. Uh, the, nobody minds the GST. Yeah. Let me uh, be clear. What they mind is the manner in A, it was implemented in the middle of the financial year, and in the way it is, uh, the process works. Okay. They have a problem with the process, so not with the idea of GST. Yeah. So let me defend the original uh, introduction, and then I'll come to the yeah. current situation. Yeah. Well, <clears throat> look, when we introduced GST, we had been debating it already for 20 years. That's true. Okay. Yeah. 
So, I, I, by the way, I had argued for a GST as well. I'm sure so did you, because for me, it was preposterous that we didn't have a single economic union. Yes, so this has been argued from even before liberalization, I think yeah, yeah. some sort of a unified uh, tax system for the indirect tax was yeah. something that had been debated for years. So yes, and, decades and probably. Decades, yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, the fact that we needed one, I think, was well, well understood. The problem was, no matter when we introduced it, it was going to cause a problem because it was getting rid of dozens of complicated taxes and we could keep debating forever uh, what, how exactly we were going to do it. In the end, the decision that was taken by the political leadership was that, look, let's create a basic framework and introduce it and fix it along the way. Now, you may see that this is a somewhat cavalier way of doing it, but in fact, that is the only way you can introduce very large change. Um, so, knowing fully well that when it was introduced, it would not quite work. Uh, it was introduced and then fixed. And let me tell you, most of the things that people thought would go wrong did not go wrong. The things that went wrong were actually completely new things. Like, for example, the error correction mo uh, button in the website. <laughs> okay. So uh, I'm just pointing or, out. Or, or they were uploading their returns and the website failed and it was yeah, their so, fault. <laughs> so sometimes it was their fault. Sometimes it was the government's fault. Uh, I'm not saying that the government uh, go and, and the tax authorities were always corrected. You know, they, they, this was fluid. We understood that. Mm -hmm. But you see, we could have been debating for another five years and getting the perfect system in there. So incidentally, that anybody who creates digital software knows what we were doing. We were basically using the framework of Agile. Yeah. Yeah. We introduced it and fixed it. And the net result is, I think most people will agree, whatever faults GST may have, it is a radical improvement on whatever was there before. Well, that, of course, is true. Yeah. I mean, so we, we want India to be an economic union. That, I think, most no, no, and also, you know, there used to be literally dozens of yeah. complicated service tax, local octroi, something. Yeah. And nobody knew what was going on. There was lots of rent seeking by local authorities. Lots and lots of corruption. Yes. Lots so, of under the table. So a lot of that got cleared up by this. Now, I'm not making the case that this is a perfect system. I'm just pointing out to you that it is radically better. Yep. Even those who complain about the current problems will tell you that it's radically better than what was there. That's first. And the only way to do it was to do it and fix it. So, you know, not something that, uh, you know, technocrats like doing this, but it's rare that you have a political leadership that is willing to go through this. And by the way, virtually every country in the world that introduced it, whether Australia or any other country that introduced a GST type system, um, had a terrible initial phase when they introduced it. So ours, I don't think, was particularly uh, uh, worse than what others did. Are there problems right now with the system? Yes. Should we be fixing it? Absolutely, yes. So what happens is, unfortunately, as you create more and more uh, changes in the system, it has unintended, because it's an integrated yeah. system, it keeps having it unintended, unintended consequences. consequences somewhere else in the system. Yeah. So what has happened over a period of time, as we have fixed it, we have also accumulated other anomalies in the system. And we, you know, if people are giving us feedback that this is, uh, that, they are, that the system is not adequately and fastly clearing yeah. certain things or answering questions, you know, I'm, I'm not making any excuses on this. And incidentally, I did publish a paper, a working paper on the GST system and 
how the feedback loop based system is used. Uh, it has worked very well so far, but if you're saying, you know, in very recent times, people are again beginning to complain about uh, and uh, this, um, then we'll take this feedback and try and see what we can do about it. I mean, we completely take this feedback uh, issue very, very seriously. So let's uh, talk about something related. A lot of bigger companies have been moving out of India. I look at United Phosphorus, for instance, it's moved from India to the UK. And a lot of others are incorporating companies in Singapore and operating businesses in India through their Singapore companies. Um, of course, uh, India has tried with Gift City to get some people to come here, have an offshore center onshore. But something is not working here. What's going on, Sanjeev? So first of all, you know, every company that goes out or in, uh, we should jump at it. I mean, we are now a international integrated country. So there are companies coming in, there are new startups being set up, and some of them are incorporated. Will, will incorporate. And they talk first. about regulatory so, burden. They, everyone talks yeah, about so, the arbitrariness, not just the burden, but so I'm, things I mean, change dramatically. Yeah, yeah. so first of all, uh, it isn't the case that everybody's moving out. There are plenty of companies coming sure, in as well. Sure. So <laughs> they're registered elsewhere. They do their business here. Yes, but yeah. there are also companies that are coming in and registering. So there is enough flow. But yes, should we have a system which is more regulatory friendly? Uh, and and there are complaints about the tax laws and so on. And we take these uh, seriously. I think that both the finance minister and the prime minister have uh, uh, said that they take this matter seriously. And we have, over time, tried to fix things along the way. Um, new issues are brought to our notice. We were happy to fix those as well. All right. So um, this is a, as I said, it's a feedback lobe best system. It's not some ideologically driven uh, system. You, you know, we fi fix a bunch of things. People come back, say, look, there are a new bunch of things. We'll fix those too. Yeah. Uh, you say it's not ideological, but um, let's say your philosophical assumption is that you trust the market more than the previous Indian governments. Absolutely. We trust the markets. We understand markets can occasionally need some nudging here and there. But by and large, we are a market-based economy. It's now 30 years since we opened up our economy. And by and large... 30 years since the collapse of the Soviet Union, precisely. The yes, well, our economy was also opened up uh, <laughs> exactly. under those same, same yeah. circumstances. Yeah. And at ev and every every uh, sort of generation of policymakers since then has a, by and large pushed in the same direction, and so have we done that uh, in the recent past. So let's talk about uh, a matter dear to your heart. Yeah, you were mentioning earlier in our conversation about the next generation reforms. Um, tell us what are those and which ones of them are close to your heart. So there are some that we need to do in a longer cycle, and I'll come to them yeah. a little later because those will take those are decade-long reforms. But there are more immediate reforms that I am personally also working on, and 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 relate to some of the regulatory type issues that you uh, talked about. So let's see what are the reforms have we done over the last few years or last few decades, as you will. The key thing was in all of them was to create a liberalized framework for markets to function. So you look at all the reforms we are doing, whether it's the insolvency and bankruptcy code, that's about creating a framework for creative destruction. 
the GST is a framework for a common market. Earlier, there were all these other liberalizations that we did of all kinds of sectors. Now, more or less every sector is open that we want to open up. So there's pretty much, whether it's even sectors like defense and space, etc., that were earlier, uh, you know, very restricted, those have all been opened up. And, and we have 100 unicorns. Yes, so a huge amount of opening up has happened. and But most of the reforms of, of that cycle were about framework reforms. What we now need, want to do is actually the more nuts and bolts of process reforms, which in fact are in, to some extent about the issues that you do. These are nuts and bolts process reforms. And I'll, I'll give you an illustrate, I'll illustrate this with a, a sector that you'll appreciate. Uh, the Indian patenting system. Okay, we, everybody, you know, says India emerging into the knowledge economy and so on. So one thing we surely should be getting right is our patenting system. Fair enough. <clears throat> now, the patenting system, however, India used, and still is to some extent, a very slow process. Uh, it takes five, sometimes more than five years to get something patented in India. And this is a technology field. By the time you patent it, probably that patent is worthless. Yeah. So what do we do about this? So till 2016, then India used to only issue some 9,000 patents a year. Now, as a result of improving the system a little bit, that number has come to 30,000. However, just to put it in context, the US issues 350,000 patents each. I'm well aware. <laughs> and China does half a million. Now, admittedly, China has a system of patenting that is that allows for low-quality patents like utility patents. But never mind, even if you disregard the low quality, the point is China is doing very large number of patents and we are still at 30,000. So, the Prime Minister's Economic Council, in fact, last year issued a report on what to do about this. And we are trying to actually quadruple the size of the patenting. So take it to 120,000 a year. Yeah. So let's take it to 120,000 patents. Yeah. And by the way, we are also, the similar kind of thing is also true for trademarks, copyrights, and other things, other kinds of uh, intellectual property. But the point I'm making is that there is a lot of effort into these. This is the kind of reforms that we are now beginning to look at. Um, there, there were the process of, uh, closing down companies, not bankrupt companies, but voluntary closing down companies. Yeah. So we have done a lot of work trying to smoothen that process out. Yeah, people complain about that. Exit. Exit. Has always been so a uh, we have done a lot of work. We, yeah. uh, again, when I was at finance ministry about two years ago, I had issued a note and articles on how to smoothen that process. Mm. And some amount of that, I'm told, has been done. We, at least the data suggests that some of the blockages in the system have now been cleaned up and the speed at which the backlog is being cleaned up is quite fast. So what I'm trying to say is that process reforms, these are the you know bells and whistles and nuts and bolts of the system. Those are getting cleaned up. We are even shutting down many defunct departments for the first time since independence. But there used to be multiple agencies looking after them. Some of these agencies were not doing anything very useful. So we have consolidated them. And then we have one, whatever the best agency was doing this. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have, and are you are you professionalizing these agencies? Because yes. one of the things that uh, people complain all the time, including people within the government, um, is that you have a lack of domain expertise. Well, even, even in Gift City, you, if you have so many multiple agencies, it'll get yeah. spread out. Yeah. So you have to reduce it. So, for example, but we are shutting down things also, yeah. which are 
for example, there was something called the Tariff Commission, yeah. which is basically a descendant of a pre-liberalization entity called the Bureau of Industrial Costs and Prices. I see. Uh, you know, before you had a market economy, somebody had yeah, to set yeah, the exactly, prices. Exactly, exactly. So this guy Good old to, Soviet planning. Yes. <laughs> it then got changed its name to becoming the Tariff Commission after liberalization. Yeah. But in fact, you know, uh, uh, and by the way, this has nothing to do with tariffs yeah. as in customs tariffs. Understood. These yeah. were about internal tariffs, tariffs but there are yeah. no internal tariffs. So consequently, this is a defunct body. And... Uh, in 2022, we wound that entire body up. So there are other bodies like this that are also getting shut down. So a cleanup of the system is systematically being done. Okay. I didn't finish that point. The point that uh, yeah. a lot of people make is that everywhere at the top, you plonk an Indian administrative service officer. And this is something our mutual friends make this complaint off the record as well. And more often than not, that person has no domain expertise. And the people with domain expertise have to play second fiddle. Uh, and uh, this goes to, let's say, even um, uh, regulatory authorities, even, for instance, public sector companies, uh, even Saras Dairy, for instance, in Rajasthan. So is there a move to professionalize the management of uh, various regulatory and public sector entities? So there has been an effort to bring people outside. I'm yeah. myself uh, part of that. I'm yeah, absolutely. a financial yeah. markets person and yeah. I currently function as a as advisor to the Prime Minister. And, and as, as a secretary. Yeah. As a secretary to government of India. Yeah. Yes. So so people are being brought in and by the way there, there's been uh, uh, people like myself in the government before as well so I'm not hardly yeah. the first person and you can see that you know you have somebody from the markets currently uh, in, from the private sector in, in uh, uh, SEBI, running SEBI. Mm. Uh, that's our um, Markets regulator. Yeah, SEBI. Uh, for those who don't know SEBI, that is uh, uh, our uh, version of the SEC, Indian version of the SEC. Yeah. So the there US. are people from outside, but let me say that I I am of the view that you need both specialists and generalists. Yeah. So I don't swing to saying that you only need specialists. There are, uh, you know, since I work with both types of people, let me say there are some advantages of generalists and some of specialists. Specialists tend to know their domains. But doesn't mean that they are not always more. They can be even more bureaucratic sometimes because they don't very often take account of the wider systemic issues. Mm -hmm. So generalists, uh, while they do not understand their one little bit, can very often understand more system-wide impacts of things. Mm -hmm. uh, so they, they, I mean, I I wouldn't swing either way. I think you need a good mix of yeah. of, of people from both. Uh, Specialists and generalists in any but, large system. And, and, and of course, uh, within the civil services itself now, there's almost no difference when it comes to um, experience From, between the in, Indian Revenue Service, for instance, or let's say... Yeah, so you have, you're, you're beginning to see people yeah. from the administrative service, audits and accounts, exactly, uh, and even the police service, now being uh, placed in... Uh, other uh, higher echelons of the government, which were not originally part of the IAS, yeah. uh, Indian Administrative so, uh, Services so Purview. So, uh, you know, various experiments are done. Uh, it has certainly, one thing has happened as a result of this is that the bureaucracy has become a lot more fluid than it used to be mm. um, and much more open to new ideas than mm. it uh, may have been historically. Okay. So you talked about some reforms that will take decades. Uh, yes. And we haven't touched upon that yet. Uh, what are those reforms uh, that you are alluding to? So, uh, well, one big area of reform has got to be our judicial system and the enforcement of contracts and so on. 
where we rank quite poorly because of the time it takes. To for get the time it takes, yes. So you know we have some forty million cases stuck in the legal system. Mm. Uh, even after accounting for the size of India and its population, it's still a very large number. It's and still a lot. It's still a lot, and so we really need to get that. And so there are these archaic processes uh, inherited from the colonial period which really need to be cleaned yeah. up. Uh, and so this is one big area. It, and of course, it's just not just the government. It'll have to be done in partnership with the judiciary itself. Uh, and so this is a very big cycle of reforms. Mm -hmm. This is just, as I said, um, just like the last 30 years were about withdrawing the Indian government from things it should not do. Mm -hmm. This is a part of getting the Indian state to do the things it should do. Exactly. And enforcement of contracts is surely one of them. Yes. So I think getting the legal system to function more quickly and on time has got to be an important part of that. So this is one big thing. Take decades to clean this up, but it's got to start somewhere. So this is one big area. The second big area is actually administrative reforms. And not just getting in, you see, we most of the debate here uh, becomes, uh, ultimately boils down to the Indian administrative service, whether it's good or bad or not. Frankly, or inter-service rivalry. Or, or yeah. inter-service rivalry. Frankly, yeah. they're a very small part of this of the entire bureaucracy. Much of the bureaucracy, I mean, it's a huge Indian bureaucracy. It includes all kinds of people, uh, you know, include people who are manning the local registry offices and all kinds of things. Land records. Land, all kinds all of things. Of, yeah. So we need to get on with it and begin to rethink this entire structure in a different way. Why? And what is the first structural flaw in, in, in the entire design? You see, the first structural flaw is that the Indian bureaucracy is not designed to deliver services. It is designed to impose control because that is- And what, engage in rent seeking. Uh, well, that is a result of that. True. But that it's, it's not designed for rent seeking. That's an outcome of the fact that it's designed for control. control it's yeah. deliberately designed for control. Why? Because a colonial government yes. would design a system to impose control. Absolutely. And then after independence, we should have reformed this, but we didn't. We doubled we, down on, we, on control. Absolutely, because we went for a socialist model. So far from reforming the system, we actually doubled down on it. Yes. And since the 90s, when we began to reform our economy, progress has not been made by, by reducing this controlling nature of the bureaucracy and its architecture. It has been done essentially by withdrawing it, i.e. the architecture of the, the, the service is still the same, yeah. It's just that it can do less damage because its powers have been controlled. Its wings have been trimmed. Yes. So that progress has been made by basically withdrawing the bureaucracy, not reforming it. Yes. But you need to reform the bureaucracy now because there is limits to how far the withdrawal of the bureaucracy will give you dividends. We have done it. Maybe at the edge, we can you know, improve yeah. the tax uh, collector's behavior or whatever. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is we now need to move the bureaucracy in from control to service delivery. Now that requires not just a mindset change, but change in the structure. And so let me give you again an illustration. What is a major, what, what would be the real cutting edge of the system and its service delivery? It happens essentially through the municipal or district administration, right? That's where the government really touches exactly. people's lives. Exactly. Now who does this? It's usually the district magistrate yeah. or it is the municipal commissioner. Now, in our bureaucracy, ironically, 
they are a, the they are the most junior people in the system exactly and and by the way they uh, it's someone who's just come out of the lal bahadur shastri national academy of and administration and has no experience of life has is basically an exam monkey has not even played sport or done any teamwork and is suddenly in charge of a district of 10 15 well, million well they don't not immediately they are usually they about five, of they've had about 5 6 uh, maybe 8 years yeah. of experience like 3 to 5 i suppose maybe yeah, eight, so by the time somebody becomes dm they are they are they are beat about in the service seven Yeah, but, but they're still very, very, very young. young and inexperienced. Yeah, and so what happens is that you have this thirty-four-year-old, yeah, uh, in a district, yeah, who uh, behaves like God. Yes, but no experience yeah. and no power in the system as well. That is the irony of the situation, mm-hmm. because while they are God in their in their district, mm-hmm. their ability to uh, draw on resources from the state capital or central government, etc., is actually limited. Yes, so we have the irony. Is that you have more senior and uh, and more um, uh, what should I say better equipped people who may be about forty years old. That person is sitting in the uh, state, state secretariat or maybe in the central government, twiddling his thumbs or twiddling her his thumbs. thumbs. So we need to flip this over, yeah, and get far more experienced people, and for them to stay for longer periods in the district. Or and by the way, same thing can be said about the municipal government. So, so whole fire, and this is something that uh, a manufacturer who I cannot name told me. He said that in some ways, um, at the district level, and he manufactures. He's an Indian chap who manufactures both here and in China. China is more democratic because the local party bosses roots in the district, and the local party boss only rises up the Chinese Communist Party if his district performs or his town performs. So he has stakeholders. He, I mean, he has to answer to stakeholders. He is or she is accountable. Whilst in India, the DM may come for six months to three years, almost like a white colonial master, and will talk about how he civilized or how she civilized the district, sitting in Lucknow in retirement. And he said there, there's no so, continuity. Yes. Yes, so and this, there's no so you so yeah so you've understood the problem yeah now this is not and so po- you made a case for elected mayors as well yeah you can we can have yeah. as I said it's a longer debate yeah but the problem that I am pointing out yeah is that this comes because the whole system is designed for control it's not designed yeah. for the service British design. designed it yeah the British designed it and we doubled down on it yeah. after independence I mean I won't blame the British it's 75 years since sure 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 it's our fault it's we, our we fault. can't blame them we can't now. blame them. We've got to get on with it and yeah. restructure the system in yeah. a more sensible way. Yeah. And so this conversation is something again, as I said, long-range reform. But this is one of the other long-range reforms. So unless you have, you see, when you say, what is the government supposed to do? It's supposed to fix the drains. Supposed Absolutely. to do all these things, not pontificate on uh, on on uh, various uh, you know grand things. That the real thing where you need generalist administrators. Is surely in the general administration, correct? And you've got to upgrade the role of these people. I mean, a medium-sized town is basically run by the uh, district uh, magistrate. Uh, ma- magistrate. Uh, larger ones are run by the municipal uh, corporation uh, commissioner, yeah, uh, and so on. And so, basically, what happens is that we're unelected. They, well, we now do have. We do have, <laughs> but now, they don't have any powers. Well, some of them people, do yeah. have powers. Uh, it depends on the state. So, yeah. the point I'm making is. Even if they had powers, they would not be able to do anything. It's mm. not set up for for success. The point I'm making to you is too much discussion happens on whether or not the IAS officer is good or bad. It's irrelevant. Yes, he or she 
is is not in a position to deliver even if they were geniuses yeah and they had every incentive to do it it's a systemic flaw it's a system flaw so way too much discussion on improving their morals and ethics and and uh, oh, this is just bunkum in my view is a waste of time you they need more see the, the the dm has to be a more senior person that person has to be in the district for longer yes there needs to be we do we are a democracy so we do have democratic feedback loops but those democratic feedback loops will only work if all the characters are there for periods of time and function as a team now it's There's not got to be the elected element too. there has to be an elected we do have an elected element it doesn't have much power especially well, revenue first power. of all yeah. we do have at the state level we do have yeah. uh, so You know, it has to come down to the district has, level. Well, we yeah. do have panchayats as well. Point is, the matter is, everybody is fluid that it will not work. So it mm. has to be people have a more senior person staying there for prolonged periods of time, and it's at the district where you need to transfer not just the powers but actual personnel have to be transferred to the district. Mm. Every physically living there for long periods of time. Now, and that will cause better economic absolutely. growth because of better governance. Yes, because. because because a more senior person is sitting in the district headquarters yeah. and is asking for resources today what happens is a is a district uh, magistrate is a 33 year old kid who has never done anything before and is even reluctant to call uh, the secretary for fisheries in his thing because that guy is hierarchy hierarchically many layers above uh, him yeah uh, so therefore how will he or she manage to call this person even So what you're saying at the district level, we need to make sure that the drains work. We need to make sure yes. that people. So that's where the administration, yeah. the IAS, should be there, yeah. not in the state secretariat. Exactly. All right. So these are the longer terms: judicial, you said, and administrative, you said. And so we that, can keep going, but yeah, you, but these are the you, two you, big yeah, ones. Getting yeah. the Indian state to deliver the goods, which it should, which it should. I mean, we we are now reaching the point where more or less. Yeah, we have removed the government from doing the things it should not do. I mean, we have whether it's privatization yeah. of Air India and more or less those those things are done. Even and, if and even if we are directionally right, directionally we'll keep right. doing. Yeah, things. we'll keep doing them. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I'm not going to argue whether or not yeah. the tax system should be better run. I mean, that, yeah, that's a, or whether Saras Dairy should be run by a professional. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's perfectly fine with me. I have no problem <laughs> exactly. with these things. Yes, yeah. I don't think the point any longer needs to be made. Yeah. We can, we can keep no, no, but the 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 longer the longer trend is that longer trend is we have to move on to the next generation reforms, as you point out, yeah. because directionally we've achieved so, the so, rollback yeah. of the state. Yeah. So, so process reform. Yes. To do the things it is currently doing. Yeah. To the things it is not doing at all: contract enforcement, law and order, etc., which the judiciary is supposed to produce. Yeah. So it's not the government; it's a, another branch of the of the state. It's still a part of the state, and then get the bureaucracy where it is needed. Yeah, so that even if we don't have towns like Singapore, at least the drains don't overflow at the first rainfall. Yeah, so you need you need you need the administration has to be there on the ground with the right requisite level of seniority and and experience, and that's how it will work. Brilliant, uh, Sanjeev Sanyal. Pleasure talking to you. uh we'll be back uh, to discuss many more things with you in the future uh from atul singh in a very nice office with a lot of books in new delhi uh it is by for now thank you very much it was a pleasure thanks <laughs>